0: Explore the culture of horticulture. Hello, welcome everybody back to another episode. Uh, we have a guest with us today, and we're very excited to wa- welcome Dr. Jonathan Larson, who works in the UK Entomology Department. So, welcome, Jonathan.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to join you. <laughs>
0: I'm once again have another boy on the podcast. We're going to need Ooh. to get some more females on here. Yeah, we're,
1: we're boy, boy, rich,
0: <laughs> boy, heavy,
2: <laughs> heavy boys.
0: <laughs> Jonathan's not one of the bald boys, though. He has
3: so. a
1: tremendous oh. head of hair. Yeah. yeah. He's a bug he boy. Incredible. He's a He's a boy. I did get a haircut a recently. It was a little more luxurious. <laughs> oh, I got them all
2: cut. <laughs>
1: <He's> oh. cut. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: COVID surfer hair going on. But tell us a little bit about yourself, Jonathan.
1: Uh, Like you said, I'm a professor in the entomology department. Uh, I'm a 100% extension professional with a little bit of teaching thrown in there. Um, I I love talking about horticultural pests. I worked in turf grass as a PhD student. Uh, I was an extension agent before I came here uh, to UK to be a professor. And so I've kind of run the gamut on all the bugs that bug people the most. And uh, I just love talking about insects. So any chance that I get invited to do so, like today, uh, I'm going to take advantage of it. <laughs> nice.
2: You know, I've heard that, it, especially in Boyle County, if you get on the wrong side of your horde agent, they can be a horticultural pest. That's it's
4: what
0: I've I, true. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I uh, may or may not have. Yeah, I may or may not have fire ants at my disposal. So watch it.
2: It's true. <laughs> when I met Alexis, she was caught in a sticky trap. Actually.
4: <laughs> She's drawn to the color yellow.
2: Yeah. It is.
0: <laughs> if if you know me, you know I drive in a monoxious yellow car. So that's yes, actually um.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, yes. a into. sticky trap. Yeah. I feel
0: personally attacked on this podcast.
4: Got her.
2: <laughs> Boom, I mean, roasted. You nah. started it.
0: Awesome. Well, we are talking about uh, some summer uh, IPM today, integrated pest management, which is something uh, we all deal with a lot of. But um, how, Dr. Larson, how do you think, when you think about IPM, specifically summer IPM, what do you think about when you think of it?
1: I I dream of monitoring when I think about summer IPM in particular. Um, Monitoring is going to be the foundational piece of being successful with IPM in the summer um you've you've moved out of your sanitation time probably at that point and you really need to have your your peepers open you got to be paying attention looking for signs and symptoms of whatever pest you're worried about what do you think of alexis
0: well <clears throat> i think of japanese beetles uh to okay. be really honest with you <laughs> yeah can you can you explain to people difference between signs and symptoms? I like that we have a PhD on here right now because um, I I feel like I can ask you all the questions that uh, okay. Brett might ask me, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna ask them. You tell me the okay. difference between signs and symptoms.
1: So this is so. I'm an entomologist. I have been corrected in some cases by pathologists. They say that I I, I believe the wrong thing. So maybe it's a religious difference. I'm not sure. But they call you a uh,
2: pathological liar.
1: I'm not a pathological liar. Okay. I, I know what I'm lying. And well, I ask I like the
2: pathologists it. about that.
1: Uh, <laughs> the way that I, I grew up being taught this was that signs are the literal insect. Like you see the insect that is a sign that you have that problem, and mm-hmm. then the symptoms are the evidence that they leave behind. So cupped and curled leaves. Uh, vis-a-vis aphids, uh, lacy leaves, vis-a-vis a a Japanese beetle, Uh, anything that they've done, anything that they defecate, all that kind of evidence that they leave at the scene of the crime.
0: And on a flip side, since we are talking about IPM also includes diseases. So um, the signs, again, is the actual pest of a problem. So uh, those of you who are familiar with powdery mildew, right, it's that um, white stuff that you're going to see on leaves of dogwoods or I mean, all kinds of plants, so you're actually seeing the disease versus um, the symptoms of it could be spots, um, it could be yellowing, it could be burn, it it could be a lot of different things, um, symptoms. So something to think about when you're talking, you'll sound like super smart, just like how we use soil instead of dirt, you know, now can use signs and symptoms appropriately.
2: Well, so I'm, I'm a bit of a simpleton when it comes to the plant side of things. And so like when you're saying monitoring... Like what can you, can you walk me through, like, let's say you have a garden or you have a, a horticultural plot, what might, you know, if you, you wake up in the morning charged and ready to, to integrated pest manage, uh, you, you roll out into the, into the field, what, what kinds of things, like what nuts and bolts processes might you be going through or, or implementing this time of year?
1: I would say that at this time of the year, I would be thinking about how to zone things out in my field, in my garden plot, whatever it is that I'm trying to manage. Uh, I I want sectors. I want to have the ability to say in sector A1 and sector B3, so splitting things up into columns and rows so that you can focus specific monitoring efforts on specific spots and kind of be able to refer back to that in the future. Uh, you, you'll be taking notes as you do this as well, so you'll have some historical data and you may know where problems arise first and foremost. So uh, that's stuff that I think about. Uh, you're also going to be going out and looking for the insects themselves, uh, the, patholo- or the pathogens themselves. You may be checking your traps. Um, we may have a pheromone trap. We may have the sticky cards that Alexis is so lured to. Uh, we may have uh, bull traps. I like to use yellow bull traps for squash vine borer in particular. Uh, I set up little bowls of soapy water. They're yellow. So it looks like a giant squash flower. And then the females fly in there. And I know when they're out and about. So I can start advising people that it's time to take a management step. So monitoring is is just right there in the name. It's anything that you can do to be on the lookout for pests so that you know what they're up to uh, before they sneak up onto you. And then you're just reacting to bigger issues.
4: I know commercially we're... um you know, we have access to lots of different monitoring tools, but is it true that homeowners, uh, there's lots of great tools out there that they can just order on their favorite online order sources. Is that the case, Jonathan? Or Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You can find lots of different things on Amazon. Am I allowed to say company names or is that? Oh, is sure. That yeah. It's, it's a common <laughs> online order. All so references to so Amazon
2: or about the river. That's what we have That's <laughs> That's a disclaimer.
1: Uh, Your favorite garden store, your favorite big box store, you'll find pheromone traps. You will find uh, different kinds of of lures you'll find all kinds of sticky traps Uh, there's many different options out there that we can use and they are tailored i mean you'll want to check and see what it says it's supposed to attract and what it's supposed to capture and you want to recognize this isn't a management tool a yellow sticky card is not being put out in the hopes that you won't have fungus gnats this year it's going to tell you when the fungus gnats show up and is that
2: is that kind of for those folks who weren't able maybe to to hear our first discussion of ipm I'd be very interested. I'm always interested to hear how people introduce a topic that they know a lot about. And so maybe (laughs) I'll ask you to do that in a second. Uh, But it just seems like that knowledge base or or working off of actual data or information or whatever is a big part of this IPM thing as opposed to, well, it's about June. It's about time to start spraying Mm -hmm. for that. We actually know these things are here. Is that, I mean, am I hearing that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what you were talking about, the spray and pray or the preventive method, I'm trying to make you just do things based on the calendar. Um, That is absolutely a management style that we use for certain pests. And for some pests, it's the best way to go. Um, I'm thinking of something like a white grub in a lawn where the calendar based method is really the the way to go. It's going to be the way that you're actually going to get control. It should also be dependent upon making sure that the pest is there. Uh, But we know that in most cases, we're going to be able to find things like white grubs. So, yes, absolutely. If you if you're going to be doing IPM, you are you are monitoring you're making sure that you have a problem before you spend money to try and get rid of something
2: and so how how, do, how is it that you when you go out to extension meetings or you go out to a grower talk or or t- even talking to agents um, or or uh, other folks how do you introduce this IPM idea? You know, what's your, what's your elevator pitch for IPM? Or maybe maybe a long <laughs>
1: elevator ride. How about that? Long, long, we got stuck in the elevator together yeah, and stuck. now we get to, okay. Yeah, two hours, hour filibuster. Two Go All right, my favorite kind of audience, Captain. <laughs> uh, so when I, I actually teach our IPM course in, uh, in our, our entomology curriculum. So I've thought a lot about this and I just break it down to, with integrated pest management, you are trying to control your pest problems with all of the available tools at your disposal. Anything and everything that you can use, you should build a plan that includes all of them um, and includes the best ones so that you are keeping pests at a lower level. Um, and this is hopefully going to cut down on economic damage. Uh, that's kind of the, the bottom line there is we're monitoring and suppressing so that we can cut the economic problems out for growers
2: in so short, it, no no that, that's yeah. great. And so so and there are there are steps maybe less expensive steps to take or preventative steps to take along the way that might be a uh, interventions you might try first. Is that part of the
1: Yeah some of the things that you're some of the words you're using here, some of the synonyms I would say are things that I've been interested in recently. Um, when I was building the last IPM class that I taught, uh, we, I started reading more about there's this thing called Pams which is kind of a modern, what I would say, retooling of IPM. IPM has been around in sort of federal recognition since the 70s. And there's some people who would argue that it's it's kind of passe at this point. Um, I even met a gentleman once when I worked in Nebraska. He said IPM was dead, which kind of broke my heart as an entomologist. Uh, so I think that anything we can do to recontextualize it and get people to stay on board with it is good. And that's what I think PAMS is. And it focuses on prevention, avoidance, monitoring, and suppression. So the prevention part that you were hinting at there a second ago, it's the first part of this new kind of way of talking about IPM. And I think that will also help to get more people on board because it's kind of sequential. So do what you can to prevent a pest problem, do what you can to avoid the pest problem, and then monitor to make sure those two things work. And if it didn't, be prepared to suppress it with one of these suppressive tools. And I think it also takes us out of the mindset that IPM doesn't include chemistry. Um, A lot of people think, I I have my students write a definition of IPM at the start of the semester, and all of them to a person said, IPM does not include chemical control. Mm -hmm. And we kind of had to work against that the whole semester to get them to recognize. I mean, actually, in some cases, Japanese beetles, for example, you don't have a lot of defenses against it beyond some sort of insecticidal application
4: yeah I'm not for sure where where that came from, but you are absolutely correct. I always do that with master gardeners on the i p m chapter and almost without exception, they say it's a way of managing without synthetic chemicals and I'm like, and we have this discussion and it's and it's almost every single year that I've had master gardeners and I'm not for sure how we how we got to that point, so I could see sort of the need to sort of reconceptualize and re- almost repackage this concept a little bit, but uh, you guys already touched on it, but I, to me, it's like you, you know you're using every information tool that you have at hand. And but I, I don't know how we got to the organic inorganic
1: I, thing. I actually, I, I, if I could sort of touch on that, I think that it comes from the historical sort of precedent that IPM came from. Came from the high days of DDT, you know, where it was a push to try and use less chemistry. Uh, we didn't want DDT and chloridane getting sprayed as often. So there was this strong emphasis on minimizing insecticide applications. And it's it's actually, I would say, a problem for IPM because when we try to defend IPM to the federal government and to people that take stock of how successful it's been, they'll say, well, actually, you, you're supposed to be cutting back on pesticides, but more pesticides are used now than ever per acre or nationally by pound or gallon or whatever you want to sort of cut it up as. And you can't get them to recognize, oh, but actually these products are less impactful on the environment or they're more targeted or more pest specific. So yes, maybe there's more of them, but they're not causing the harm that the ones in the past did. I guess that's
4: the point. Yeah. IPM is the total picture and what you're talking about is the total understanding of the total picture, which is a little harder for everyone to grasp. And that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting.
2: Yeah. It's, it's making me think of just the, the sociocultural context and implications (laughs) of trying to convey a topic that has very set parameters, but once you kind of get it out into the policy and PR world, you lose you lose a lot of control over the interpretation and fact you know fact checking of the thing itself. Um, yeah when I, when I think about IPM in general, I, th- I think of it almost like as an approach to your to like personal health where it's like, yeah eat, eat pretty good, get some sleep, get some exercise, drink some water. But you know if you get really, really sick, it's also cool to be able to take medicines. Um, which is pretty, that's been my experience in general as a, as a medicine taker in
1: the past. <laughs> yeah. In, in some cases, the medicine is the first step, right? Like it, it's good to try all these other things, but if you pick up Lyme disease from a tick bite, you're going to want doxycycline, right? Like you don't want to be told, Oh, if you know, change your diet and maybe you, you won't get Lyme disease. Uh, you want the medicine. So there are cases where the strongest reaction is the most appropriate reaction. That's so, that's IPO.
2: so this time of year do are there particular, you know, common pests that for you fall into that either the monitor and see category versus uh, the you know, treat up front. You kinda don't want this getting out of hand, or is uh-huh. it case by case, or are there particular things that fall into those categories?
1: I would say unfortunately the invasive species pests, they're the ones that fall into that. Okay, we gotta do something right now. We have to prevent this because we don't have the natural defenses. We don't have the natural enemy populations and things that help to keep those in check. It's our native pests that we're usually allowed to have some some breathing room so that we can actually monitor for and, and see what they're going to do in any given year. You have outbreak years. I don't know if you all remember 2021 as the fall army worm year where it oh, came man. through and ate everything up. You know, that's not normal. And so people got taken unawares by that and monitoring helped in some cases and in other cases it didn't so that gives gives it kind of a bad rap sometimes but you can monitor for most of the normal pests your tomato hornworms your white flies your aphids your thrips all those things um, and know when you need to react in order to to get something under control how about getting some help jonathan
4: for when someone catches something in their trap let's say it may be a homeowner or a backyard gardener Uh, How about getting that uh, insect identified? Uh, That's one of the things, I guess, that one of the services that you're involved in.
1: For sure. Yeah. Uh, We love receiving inquiries from folks um, that usually does go through sort of the quote unquote chain of command, right? They take it to you all at the extension office. Yes. The extension office usually identifies most of these things because you've been dealing with them for however long you've had your career. And then the, the cases that are kind of out of the norm or weird. Those are the ones that get filtered to the uh, to the entomology department, and we help you figure out what- You get what all the tough cases.
4: Is. We do get tough a lot cases of- cases to us, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. We do get quite a few that are kind of weird. I just had one this morning where um, an agent wanted to know what was on this person's maple tree, and it turned out to be a sample that I've never received before. It was a flat bug. They're a type of hemipterin, so a true bug with a piercing-sucking mouth part, Whoa. except their piercing-sucking mouth part has been modified to like coil up inside of their head Mm. And they slurp it out, and they get fungal spores and stuff with it. Uh, so it was a very weird-looking insect. And uh, I have never received one as, a, as an inquiry before, so it was kind of fun. But, yeah, I, it took, like, 50 minutes of, well, this is not right, that's right, uh, okay, and then tracking it down. Uh, using uh, I feel like this could logic. be a whole series from you is yeah. weird things
4: I've received in, received in the lab. Yeah, oh, <laughs> you get really cool stuff, uh, because uh, I'm sure you you guys see it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Things. The weirdest stuff is when you get, you know, a, a bag of pants or, uh, I got <laughs> water once, somebody soaked their feet in a bunch of vinegar and then brought it to me in jars. Uh, they wanted to know what bugs were in it. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen. Some
4: stuff. <laughs> that's. I don't think I've seen that foot trap on, uh, on my <laughs> yeah. local order on my yeah. order source. I don't think I've seen the foot trap. That's something. That's a one off. That's something unique. Yeah, that's a one off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do you have? These- do you have? Do you
2: keep a like a other than mentally like a list of the things that you have and haven't seen. Like a wall of <laughs> wall of shame or fame or something like that.
1: I used to be more diligent about that when I was a county extension agent or educator was what we were called in Nebraska. Uh, we had kind of a, 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 a ongoing list. Me and a colleague, she has something that she calls her wall of no nos, which I think is what she still calls it. It's like all these samples that she's gotten over the years of like she's trying to teach people that work at the front desk and stuff like don't accept these things. This is a biohazard. No oh, more foot <laughs> water. Uh-huh. More <laughs> foot water, uh, bags of scabs, You know, oh man, wow! Integrated
4: pest management includes it all, folks.
1: Okay.
0: I've had a coffee pot come in, and she swore okay. there were bugs in the coffee pot.
1: Yeah, and I, mean, I was
0: like, "No, those are coffee grounds."
1: <laughs> that's rough. That's I looked at them number. under the
0: scope. To be fair, I gave her the benefit of the doubt. They Once
1: were definitely I, I mean, <laughs> You always have to look. Yes, you have to take it seriously until. You know, you've, you've proven what it is or isn't. I got a, a beard trimmer once. That was interesting. He brought it in and left it in a bag and then he didn't want it back. It still works pretty well. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It works
4: great. Yeah. Maybe you, so sometimes these things are so easy
2: boy. to see. Why? Oh, yeah, Beard Boy. Beard, yeah. beard Boy. Uh, mm. This guy.
4: No, So you guys, you guys have seen it all. I mean, it's an integrated system that covers a lot of ground, I guess. So it's monitoring identification. What else? What are we missing in the integrated pest management? I mean, I I was going to ask, we're going to take action. Yeah.
2: I was going to, I was going to ask you had mentioned about the, the invasive species. Are there, are there like a couple, a a, a top, top, most wanted top five or least wanted top five or 10 (laughs) that uh, come to mind as far as things around here to, to, for people to be on the lookout for?
1: Well, so uh, I, I can tackle that question a couple of different ways. One is like things that aren't quite here yet or, or just getting started here. And then the other is uh, Alexis's friends, the Japanese beetles and the things that have been here that we don't necessarily have, have a great grip on. Uh, for that list, it would be Japanese beetles, spotted wing drosophila. Um, there'd probably be brown marmorated stink bug on that list. Maybe a couple others, but those, those are, are the ones, ones
2: that are here.
1: Those have been here. The monitoring here.
4: for the stink bug is just look, kind of look up at your ceiling, right, right. yeah.
1: Check right. your toothbrush in the morning. All it's around you, there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and Japanese beetle, we have traps. People kind of misuse the traps occasionally, uh, but you can also just look for the damage. The ones that aren't here yet that we are sort of really actively monitoring for and making sure that they don't get here would be spongy moth, formerly known as gypsy moth. Um, the Asian longhorn beetle, which is a tree pest uh, that is in Ohio in the Cincinnati area. And then spotted lanternfly, also found in the Cincinnati area, about three miles from the state line. Um, and in Switzerland County, Indiana, also about three or two or three miles from Kentucky. And then the Asian longhorn tick, which wouldn't confront horticultural enthusiasts such as your listeners. Uh, but it does affect the beef cattle industry, which is a major agri seat in the state. And then uh, the last one would be fire ants, imported fire ants. I think Alexis, she said she's aligned with them, or she's in cahoots with them. Earlier, is that what? joking We work together. Fire ants, queen I of the fire ants.
2: They're Not here, yeah. only by the grace of her keeping them away.
1: That is one that, for like twenty years, has been kind of on the periphery of Kentucky. Uh, it's popped up in the land between the lakes area quite a few times, but it's always been defeated. And then in 2022, we got snuck up on and now it's in uh, Whitley and McCreary counties and it is established there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, oh my. Um, yeah, I remember seeing, uh, so my wife's from Pennsylvania and so we were up visiting. and I remember seeing some of their um, anti-lantern fly yeah. propaganda like get everybody involved and just killing these things squash them do your part get the kids involved get the kids to yeet them out of the backyard like it was like oh god yeah did it It say
1: yeet that's amazing
2: it didn't say i think i I might be paraphrasing um updating it i'm updating it for a modern audience (laughs) uh
1: i see every like april or may there's a new news story about uh, this state government says go out and squish it and i'm like i don't know if i I support this. <laughs> the, the, I do not support this message. And, and insects, like, I mean, yeah, it's fine, oh, I guess. Can you can you expand on that? Uh, what, what, somebody else gonna say something? You mean violence
4: is the way? Or oh
1: no, it's more of a like. It is a very distinct looking insect, but I get a lot of inquiries about spotted lanternfly that are other insects, and so the so idea that, that like, people do. are just gonna go around and be like, "Oh that's mm-hmm. a lanternfly," and squish it, uh. Uh, you know, there's there's gotta be some innocent bystanders that didn't yeah to be squashed. It's, <laughs> it's not a good time to be a look alock. That's yeah. right. If you have spots or stripes as an insect, you got to be shaking in your your thorax like right now. Colorful moth in the, the wrong
2: things. place at the wrong time. Just yeah. Yeah. to be
4: clear,
0: can I still hands. squash Japanese beetles with my bare hands? Because... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right.
1: Uh, I that's that's a good of you...
0: Oh yeah, you I go got out, that out of on YouTube. <laughs> Alexis I, I the, Oh you got Yeah, I have a special thing I do with Japanese beetles. The the ball boys have heard about it. Um Okay. Ray he also about it. <laughs> Ray, sorry Ray. I, jo- I I lumped you in. Um Ray is not bald. Uh I put you. them on pikes <laughs> at okay. the end of my rows as warnings to the other ones. Um
3: I don't right. I don't know do how they, do they that's
4: upon. Huh? It's like Vlad Lex. That's her oh, name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very like
3: Janissary Ottoman Empire conflict. Yeah. Yes.
4: <laughs> it's like coming in the Barbaric. I mean, this is very barbaric, Alexis.
3: But yeah. I feel like so that's like therapeutic for you. Do they get it? Like, yeah, are they I use getting the message?
0: Pins as a little pike. Uh,
3: yeah. Oh uh, God! Where does this yeah. fall
4: in integrated? He pet is, pet is an artist. I, I, I he's an artist. Textualize that for me. Yes. IPL. Yes. Um, I
1: that's, a mechanical or phys- that's mechanical control, I would say. Okay. You're mechanically okay. destroying the pest. She's a machine. Um, the psychological part, I don't really know where that would fall. We don't really have a category Probably for that. cultural. Yeah, right, uh, I that's believe like it a, be be a, a war time. As in dad circles. always said, it's hard
4: to develop resistance against mechanical methods. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. very true. Yeah.
2: Cannot run these fists <laughs> kind of energy. Catch <laughs> his yeah. hands
4: there, bugs. Catch his hands there. <laughs> <laughs> We're very contemporary on this podcast, you can tell. So, with our so
2: if we if we do like we are, you, you mentioned the kind of the, the monitoring as the the main thing you're thinking about this time of year, and then mm-hmm. in, in the case of some things, you're going to need to just sp- spray or otherwise address them. If there isn't a really a good way to control, or there's no sense in monitoring, for the for the ones that do, how do you? What's what's the calculus for determining? Okay, we're at the point where maybe I want to spray, or I need to look at see what I what I'm gonna spray. Do you encourage people to have like plans in mind even before the season that these are the things I'm gonna need, and these are the types of chemicals that I might use, or the types of uh, measures, etc. Or or what's that kind of decision making process going from monitoring to action in times that needs it?
1: So for that, you absolutely have to be kind of thinking about this all the time. Uh, It's an unfortunate byproduct of growing stuff is that you have to be sort of plotting and planning the whole time uh, of what you're going to do. And we have, I like that you said calculus, because we do have some mathematical formulas that help to sort of dictate when people take action with some of these pests. So we have the economic threshold, we have the action threshold, the point where you're supposed to go out and do something to keep the pest from reaching critically important levels uh, and suppress their populations a little bit lower. Uh, That's written in lots of extension publications for lots of different pests. Many of them are based on sort of a a high-end agricultural scale. So big numbers, big plots. Uh, For a home garden, it may be as low as one or two. When you see just one or two of these insects in your trap or on your travels through your garden, that may tell you that it's time to initiate one of the protocols that you've kind of designed in your head. And we have these written out as well. Um, if i stick with my squash vine borer example that i talked about earlier so you put out this yellow bowl trap you catch one female moth in it that tells you that it's time to either go ahead and apply an insecticide to the base of the plant so that when they lay their try to lay their eggs it intercepts that female and kills her if you are not interested in insecticides you may be somebody that wants to go with a physical barrier Um, So you get some remay or you get some sort of cloth that you can put over the plants and use ground staples to secure it and then look inside and make sure that you haven't actually like pinned moths in (laughs) with the plants that you're trying to protect. And then you have a force field. You have the ability to sort of exclude these moths from being able to lay their eggs on the plant. Um, There are problems with this as well. You got to take it off so that the plants can get pollinated. You got to keep the traps going so that you know when it's safe to remove the cover um, and then you'll have to put it back on if this is what you're going to stick with, because we have multiple generations of this pest. That's the other thing with IPM is that a lot of people, when they just spray for stuff, you you're done, right? You you sprayed it, the the spray is out. <laughs> you Usually win. these things are for a growing season, and so you you don't have to think about it as much anymore. But with IPM, you are going to be constantly battling this thing. Um, just because you got rid of the aphids, uh, your monitoring isn't done. You need to be just like Batman and keep ever watchful eyes on your, your Gotham City, your garden. And then when the thrips show up, you can be like, oh no, the thrips, I got to get those now. Uh, and, and go out and deploy whatever management tool you want for that.
2: You yeah, know, but the, the hardest thing for me has been teaching the plants to operate the bat signal because they yes. they don't <laughs> have a lot of They're like yeah. not moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, I had a question about something you had mentioned earlier and this kind of the threshold of activity. It sounds like it's you know, based on Sort of a density amount, right? Like an amount of these particular pests within a unit area, which you know, in large scale operations means one thing, and in smaller scale operations looks differently. And back to what you had said earlier about you know creating thinking of your growing space in zones, right? Or, or is there sort of a fun a good all around functional unit for like an area to think of a garden?
1: It, Unfortunately, like, I would say it would be an acre. Like that's what all yeah. of these things are based on: is is an acre of this, or um, it may be broken down into number of sweep net samples. So if you read through some of our soybean publications, you'll see references to per one hundred sweep nets. If you've caught twenty five stink bugs, it's time to do X. Uh, and so it's either the action itself, the trap that you're using, or the amount of space. And they're almost always written by acre or by number of plants in a certain row so in a garden you know your blocks are going to be much tinier i just was putting my garden in over the weekend i've got my hot pepper block i've got my uh uh cantaloupe block uh, i right. got these different sectors but it's it's just going to be about looking at one or two plants really so it's not as intense uh and therefore your thresholds are much lower because you, you can't afford for one of the two plants right. to get killed
3: Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And well, I mean, in a lot of horticulture growers, there are many in the state that, you know, it's market garden size, but that yeah. can mean a couple of acres. But to think of things in terms of an acre, a fraction acre like works.
1: Yeah. Thresholds are one of the areas that I think we need a lot more work on. Um, it's it's such an applied thing and applied research like that isn't necessarily as supported as it used to be. And some of the thresholds, they're, they're older, they're based on these huge farms and mm-hmm. it's, it's harder to find information for a high tunnel, uh, for a greenhouse, for a small horticultural plot like you're describing. And it's difficult for organic growers because these are all also based on sort of conventional procedures. And organic usually requires a lot earlier threshold, uh, a, a lower threshold, I should say. Uh, so we have to update those things. It's hard to, hard to do, though.
2: And as far as the, you know, what chemicals to apply, I'm not asking for a specific recommendation on the squash fine borer, but in general, where, where would you recommend people go? They, they're they thinking through, they're getting their plan and they've realized, okay, you know, this is, once we cross this threshold, I'm going to need this to treat. Where, where might they go to find what, what should they be putting down or, or putting out?
1: Well, uh, if I can be extremely self-serving, you should go to the entomology department's website, Uh, And go to our Infacts page and look through a lot of our Infacts. I am proud of the fact that a lot of our extension publications are are pretty direct in their recommendations. Um, It lists out different products that you can use for specific pests. Um, It gives you some advice on when to do that. Uh, Unfortunately, you look at some other ones, it just says, contact your local extension office for more information. (laughs) And I, I find that kind of maddening. I think that there should be an extension jail for that. Uh, that you get straight to extension jail if you just put call the agent, because uh, the agent might be the one reading that publication. They may yes, be
4: many times we are. It's like transferring the call to someone else that you just talk You are like, what?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. I, yeah. I do like
4: when we get those direct recommendations.
1: So yeah, that's what I'm, I I try to recommend people be on the lookout for uh, anything with a .edu at the end. You know that they're they're going to be a little more non biased than uh, if you are getting it from I don't know Scott's webpage.
2: So you go no. to go to Tolkien for your int fantasy but the entomology department for your int facts.
1: That's right. We nice. don't do giant no, trees. No. Uh, <laughs> what else uh, Even though they uh,
4: both deal with problems that are and problems that were, I mean, <laughs> yes.
1: Entomologist is never late. He was he arrives yes, exactly uh, when he wants. I knew,
4: I knew you would be there, for us, Jonathan. I knew you would be right there with us. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. We we had a really I uh, had a great discussion with uh, once again finishing up Master Gardeners, but a great group, really savvy group this year, and they were a very good group about understanding uh, when we had the IPM talk and it. it at the same time we were covering uh the organic section but just the difference in thinking processes between home gardeners uh and let's say a commercial operation an economic based operation With these things, yes, you're dealing with many times the very same insects, but it's that the thresholds become so much more important, what you have to lose and how much damage tolerance, you know, you have. But we had just a great discussion on all this and it directly tied into integrated pest management because we were talking about information systems and applying all of these concepts. But, uh, you know, the more you have to lose, the kind of the less tolerance you have for risk in this situation. But yeah, it's it kind of ties in really nicely for all the things that you're saying.
1: Well, and I think that having those thresholds and everything, getting people on board with those is really good. And then you do we do have to educate them on all these different management or suppression tools. I'm trying to use the word suppression more often than management. One
4: hundred percent (laughs) kill.
1: Yeah. No, that is not what we're going for. That is not control control implies a lot more than I think management does. And then management is also sort of it implies some things. So suppression, I think, is, is more what we're going for here. Uh, we're trying to keep their populations at a certain level that doesn't cause issues. That can come from insecticidal control. It can come from physical control, mechanical control. My favorite mechanical control is when people build flamethrower-like objects to kill oh, yes. things like Colorado potato beetle. Uh, we also have to talk about biological control using natural enemies, using these beneficial organisms that we can purchase in some cases. In other cases, we can augment their populations or conserve their populations locally by planting flowers and and, and, uh, sort of wildflower strips, these insect havens where they can live and then hopefully help provide some pest control. Uh, But the augmentation biocontrol where you buy them and release them, you can buy lady beetles or whatever from the big box stores online. Uh, those, those are also options. Um, I would argue that if you're going to do that, get something that's an immature, so a larval form or a nymphal form, or a very small biological control organism. That way, wherever you put them is where they're going to live. That's their whole universe at that point. Um, because if you get ones with wings, I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but you open the box of lady beetles and they say, see <laughs> yeah. you, sucker, enter the yeah. shipping, right. and they go.
4: Yeah, You know, it seems like with the rise of um, over the last several years with greenhouses and high tunnels in the state, how has that changed for someone like yourself? How has that changed the concepts of, of IPM? Or is it exactly the same if we're talking about someone with a bunch of high tunnels? And what made me think about this was the beneficial insects uh, sure. like in greenhouses. But how, is, how, is, how does that relate?
1: Uh, so I've only been involved with greenhouses since I started this job in 2019. But previous to that, I had zero experience with them. And I think that they're really interesting tools. And they're also very Kentucky. Uh, I know people in Indiana are working on them and, and, and on some other spots. But it seems like from, from what I've read, at least, Kentucky is like the high tunnel hotspot. And I think it offers you the best of both worlds of growing in the field and in a greenhouse and also the worst of both worlds. Uh, <laughs> the best part being that you can do biocontrol releases more easily in a high tunnel than you can do in a field. The problem being that it also excludes a lot of the natural enemies that would naturally find pest populations, uh, just like it excludes other things. So sometimes pests get into a high tunnel and they run absolutely wild because there's nothing in there to kill them. Uh, Hornworms are are famous for this. Unfortunately, they get into these tomato high tunnels. There's no wasps that lay their eggs in there, uh, in them, in there. So then they just, they eat and munch away with abandon. So uh, there there are nuances to IPM in these controlled or semi-controlled environments uh, that we have to consider when educating those folks. We've just done a three-part uh, around the state tour of high tunnel for beginning farmers, high tunnel growing for beginning farmers. Uh, Dr. Nicole Goche, Dr. Rachel Rudolph, they were the other faculty members that were on the tour with it. And yeah, it's it's something that I think is really interesting. You have to sort of change it up and I have more experience in the controlled environment than I do in the field agriculturally. So I feel uniquely connected to high tunnels. I'm the high tunnel of people. <laughs> <laughs> you bring the intensity to the
4: intensity that is high tunnels and greenhouses. It seems like everything in a high tunnel and a greenhouse, controlled environments, semi-controlled environments, are more intense. The heat, you know, is more intense. The insect pressure can be more intense. I mean, for every crow, you, know, you have to... Yeah, yeah, but I knew Alexis was going to have some very personal thoughts.
0: (laughs) I'm still stripping snapdragons that are are uh, sticky at the bottom, and it just is what it is.
1: With aphid honeydew, or yeah, what are they sticky from? Pancake syrup? I I... (laughs) barbecue (laughs) sauce?
0: No, I think it's uh, it's aphids. Yep.
3: Yeah. When it comes to using beneficial insects in that kind of augmentation style where you're releasing some, is it something that tends to be some like the action threshold
1: is earlier than with chemicals? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and you have to you have to be monitoring to know what biological control agent you should be releasing mm-hmm. because there's not a cure-all with these. It's not like the old days with carbaryl when it was in seven where you, you could kill just about anything that you were dealing with. With a with a, a natural enemy release, if you don't know what you're fighting, you may buy the wrong thing. And these aren't cheap. So you definitely want to invest some time in identification and knowing exactly what level of, of problem you have.
4: One of the reasons I love working with, um, you know, a really well-informed organic gardeners, either small scale or big scale, it seems like to a fault they are all systems thinkers. And they really have bought into, you know, the concepts of IPM because... They have honestly no other choice to stay ahead of things and they just live and breathe these concepts day in and day out. So that's one of the reasons I love with, uh, you know, working with those folks, if if they're really up on things and, and they've invested, you know, time and uh, into the science of things, they're really good at the concepts of IPM because they they monitor, they look for the first sign of any of these issues because they just don't have rescue treatments. And uh, quite honestly, even conventional growers, a lot of times don't have really good rescue treatments if things get too bad, I guess. So yeah, yeah. Those folks are really good at these concepts. It seems like sometimes.
1: Yeah. Absolutely agree. Yeah. They they have to know this. And I think that's part of the other reason IPM gets conflated with organic production.
4: I think so, yeah. Because the organic crowd really—they they they invest a lot of time and and uh, a lot of brain space to these concepts because they they just don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, we see that a lot. Do you Mm -hmm. have
2: Do you have any comment on the the role of plant health in preventative thinking in general? That you know that. that, plant plants absolutely yeah
1: Yeah. i mean you gotta you gotta have healthy plants otherwise uh, that's part of when we talk about pams that's one of the avoidance strategies that we talk about is keeping the plant well irrigated well fertilized whatever it is that keeps it happy and healthy it cuts down on the likelihood that it'll deal with any of these other problems in the future uh, except for some of maybe our our, uh, invasive species but yeah uh, right plant right place anything that you can do to set the plant up for success is going to cut down on the need for some of these IPM methods,
2: because I think that's that's something that I've I, I've seen is that often by the time it makes it to the extension office or it makes it to you all or to the, the diagnostic lab, sometimes the thing that you're you end up looking at is a secondary or tertiary problem. Yeah. But, um, and I so I yeah that just is something that it every year it becomes more and more I think relevant and underscored for me is that that plant health component the the general basic horticultural practices. In in a in tandem with the IPM or the PAMS strategies is like I mean and they are they're they're they to be totally meta in systems they are there is no separation between good horticultural practices and IPM really at its root but that's just something that I think sometimes it's it's this idea that we're going to put healthy plants out and no matter what is going to happen no matter what happens we're going to get some pests on them and that's just going to happen and we're going to have to spray and, and that could be the case depending on where you are but in other cases that there is this uh, this chain of events that if you're not paying close attention, it seems like, well, the bugs just came out of nowhere. But in yes. reality, the, the insects are, are there because there was an opening somewhere for some reason.
1: Yeah. Uh, I hear the phrase, it happened overnight quite right. a lot <laughs> in my line of work. And it, it almost never happens overnight. Fall army worm is an exception. Uh, but with most of these things, there were indicators beforehand. Uh, there were were openings like you said that, that absolutely could have been caught earlier and that's not a dig on people like everybody's got busy lives you know uh, you got I, caught
4: with your plants down yeah
1: uh, not, i can't uh, talk uh, this,
4: so. i think you can I, i've seen you in action
2: man now do a, I think I, you I, you do a pun on to. foot water ray
4: yeah,
2: yeah. bag uh, of pants
4: we have, to, we have to bring it all back around a holistic approach <laughs> one yeah
0: one last question can you love your plants too much in the area of uh Ooh. dealing with insects
1: can you love your plants too much with in regards to insects like spraying too early you mean or you're over fertilizing and you create more problems like oh, the yeah
0: yeah i think okay. a lot of people when we talk about plant health um they want to make their plant extra healthy but there's too much of a good thing is a thing
1: absolutely you can make the plant very attractive to certain pests Um, over fertilization absolutely does that Um, irrigation does that you know people deal with white grubs in their lawn there's a reason the white grubs are in your lawn and they're not in the city park uh, is because you irrigate your turf and you treated it with nice fertilizer and it's a very happy and healthy home for those baby grubs to be in so the mom chooses it Uh, we absolutely can set ourselves up for some problems with these uh, other times I think it's more about uh, being in love with a plant that shouldn't be where it is. Uh, you pick out a tree cultivar or, or species that you really want on your property, but it really shouldn't be there. And you're just going to have problems in the future. Uh, cough, cough, white pines maybe uh, <laughs> would be an example in the state of Kentucky. But uh, yeah, I think that that's absolutely a problem is that we can, we can, uh, love plant. What'd you say? How'd you put it? Love plants. You can love too much. your
0: plants too much, uh, which is another yeah. plug. And if we do this every episode, I won't be mad to go get your soil tested Kentuckians. Well, everybody should, because that way you're not going to over apply those fertilizers, waste money, and therefore make your plant more attractive to insects and therefore have to spend more money to spray them or deal with them in other mechanical ways. Um, so just, you know, another shameless plug.
2: Yeah. So, speaking of of plug and pulling plugs of soil out of the ground for a soil test, do you have Jonathan any plugs to put in to this podcast okay. of things to check out? Maybe you know your SoundCloud or sure. maybe something professional. <laughs> I'm on well.
1: tour, uh, yeah, on Broadway. <laughs> it's uh, the Hot tour. <laughs> uh, I do. Uh, I already mentioned the Intfacts website. Uh, we have Kentucky Bugs on Facebook where people can find interesting pictures that we post throughout the summer of different Arthropod pals trying to teach people about what's out there. Uh, We take samples through there as well, getting a lot of uh, potential murder hornet questions on that platform at the moment. Uh, We also have, I also have a podcast myself. Uh, It's called Arthropod. Incredible. about uh, insects (laughs) and their relatives. Uh, We just did an episode on uh, educating with insects abroad we had an educator come on. His name's Kevin O'Shea. He is a Canadian that teaches in China and uh, he uses insects as sort of a model organism to talk about lots of different concepts. Wow. Uh, before that one, we had the history's favorite beetle, the Colorado potato beetle. Mm. It's an hour and 45 minutes on that insect in like soup <laughs> to nuts. Everything you could ever want or not want to know about it—that's it. a
4: lot of time on one beetle. Wow. It's, a,
1: it's a fascinating it's, insect. Do you yeah. want me to do it right now? Can I do the one hour forty-five? Yeah, yes, you're tight with forty-five. Like a tight <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> forty-five. Gotta, gotta tighten it up. Uh, it's it's an amazing insect, and it absolutely is history's favorite beetle. Yeah. Uh, so that, that I love doing that show, and I do it with two of my good friends, uh, Mike and Jody. So if people are into podcasts, if they're listening to this, I presume they are. Awesome. Uh, check us out too.
4: Awesome.
2: Oh man, that's
1: we cool. Have,
4: we have covered a lot of ground today, both inside the token world and outside of the token world. But today's topic, integrated pest management, started, I think, Jonathan, with us discussing the importance of monitoring and then going on to things like identification and going all the way through action steps. Uh, we talked about uh, what was it, the newer system, PAMS. Uh, I've done some reading on that myself, and it seems to be the up-and-coming uh, new guy, not really new, but the newer kind of uh, conceptualization of some of the things that we've talked about today, PAMS being prevention, avoidance, monitoring, and suppression, Uh We talked a lot about current pests and future pests. That's a lot to talk about in one podcast. And it sounds like there's a lot more to talk about. So if any of you guys listening today want to check out that, what was it, Jonathan? Arthropod? Arthropod. It doesn't have any... Is it any cute spelling or just like arthropod?
1: Arthro dash pod. If you don't God put the dash yeah. in, it'll just take you to the Wikipedia page on arthropod. I thought
4: that there was something that I couldn't find. It. I was like, now I'm missing something. Thank you for that clarification. But yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you kind of bringing the topic today. Uh, a great discussion point for both home gardeners and larger scale market and commercial gardeners. Yeah, yeah, great discussion, you all.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having time. me.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, I believe that sums us all up. So we're going to say goodbye from now. And we hope as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us. Join us next week uh, for talking about the joys of growing plants because we've talked about a lot of science, a lot of good science, a lot of marketing. We've yet to talk about why we love to do this in the first place. So join us next week and thank you for being here.